In this week's podcast, we discuss the Prime Minister's Perth visit and his promises for the mining industry, labour shortages and its impact on residential building and the big miners, property developments including Tawari Hot Springs, the OBH apartment plan and Dredgen's Subiaco project, and Chrysos Corp, an innovative mining technology company. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to Mark My Words. I'm Jacinta Burton and I'm joined by Mark Beyer. Now, the federal election campaign has well and truly kicked off with Prime Minister Scott Morrison making a trip to Perth earlier this week. He used that trip to meet with members of the Chamber of Minerals and Energy and announced some more handouts for the mining and energy sectors. What can you tell us? Yeah, thanks Jacinta and welcome to the podcast. Look, Perth was front and centre for the federal election campaign early in the week. Um, as you said, Prime Minister was in town for a couple of days. Uh, we also had, incidentally, the promise that uh, Anthony Albanese was going to launch Labor's campaign in Perth. Of course, that one's not happening anymore since he's uh, no. at home with COVID. <laughs> also fine. got the Premier at home with COVID. So it'll be very different. We'll be seeing less of those two. Um, but look, the Prime Minister's still out and about, talking up Western Australia's contribution to the national economy. Uh, in fact, that's become one of the favourite catch cries for all the politicians mm-hmm. about WA powering the national economy, which of course we know is the case, but they're very keen to tell the rest of the country that. The Prime Minister gave an address to the Chamber of Minerals and Energy and he outla- outlined a whole range of things where he's looking to reinforce the sector. Um, things like uh, what he calls single-touch environmental approvals. Um, So there's less overlap between state and federal regulators. Um, Another big one was this idea about having project agreements that run for six years. So, and now this doesn't happen very often, but the really big projects where they want certainty through the construction period that their labour agreements are going to hold. You know, Gorgon famously, after about four years, had to renegotiate their labour agreements, and that was a really big issue. Um, He also pledged no new taxes, no carbon tax, no mining tax, and that was certainly welcomed by industry. And then layered on top of that, more handouts. I mean, there's lots of money going to lots of companies. There was Mm -hmm. about eight different companies that uh, were the beneficiaries of the Prime Minister's largesse. The biggest one, uh, BP. They've got a hydrogen project they're planning for Quinana. Uh, total cost of about $250 million, and the Prime Minister's pledged about $70 million for that. Uh, the state government have got their Pilbara Hydrogen Hub. That's also got a big financial support from the federal government. And then a number of private companies. Engie, um, they've got a hydrogen project for the Pilbara. Uh, Santos, they're, they're doing something in the Carnarvon Basin. Um, so a lot of money for hydrogen, you know, industry of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also some other sectors. Um, of course, in recent weeks, the Prime Minister's uh, made a lot of uh, commitments to fund projects in the sort of critical minerals and rare earths area. Um, he added to that. Uh, during the week, uh, local company Mineral Commodities has got a few million dollars for help on their graphite processing project. 
um, Global Advanced Minerals. They operate the Green Bushes lithium mine. They also produce tantalum, so they're looking to do some more processing there. And then on top of that, three companies looking to develop carbon capture and storage projects, uh, Woodside, Mitsui and Brew Energy have all got money. And just for good measure, Curtin University. Um, there's a $50 million fund for R&D into the mining and resources sector, and that'll be led by Curtin University. So look, the positive, you know, these, these are all um, sectors of the future. Mm -hmm. um, you know, battery metals, critical minerals, rare earths, etc. Big opportunities there. And if we can get more processing of those minerals happening within Australia and WA in particular, uh, that's got to be a good thing long term. Um, and certainly the federal government is very enthusiastic in providing financial assistance so people can do more of that. Mm -hmm. No, it's fantastic. And um, something we've covered extensively here at BN and which has hit that sector particularly hard are the labour shortages that we're seeing. But this is affecting, you know, resources and construction all the way down to healthcare and aged care. It seems we can't get workers for love nor money. And yet pollies are promising more jobs. You've got some ideas about this one, Mark. Yeah, look, I just see a bit of a disconnect here between the tone of the campaign and the issue that's most affecting business in WA. So with the Prime Minister's announcement, for example, he had some, uh, what you've got to say, were some quite extravagant uh, projections about the number of jobs that would be created through these hydrogen hubs, for example, about 4,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, those numbers just seem a bit uh, on the high side for me. But more broadly, there's the issue that, uh, and look, politicians have been doing this forever and a day, it's not easy for them to change their spots. But while it's good to have this focus on the long-term opportunities for Western Australia and the rest of the country, I think there needs to be a greater focus on this short-term problem that we've got. Mm -hmm. Industry just can't get workers to meet the demands they've got at the moment, let alone find more workers for new projects. So in a sense, there's this danger that the you know, we can have an overheated economy with too much stimulus. Uh, we'll talk a bit about residential construction in a moment. That's a classic example of where that's happened. Now, in terms of what can be done about it, uh, the, the government has talked about a lift in the skilled migration program for the coming year. So that's a positive. But when you look at the migration numbers, uh, pre-COVID, we had about um, just check my numbers here, about 220,000 people coming into the country. Last year, uh, the population, there was a, a loss of about 90,000 people. You know, people left Australia mm. and went home. Uh, this year, there'll be growth of only about 40,000. So very small compared to the normal. Uh, next year, we're back up to about 180,000 and then a bit more the following year. All through all that whole period, it's a lot less than the normal um, migration levels that we had pre-COVID. So we're not getting the growth from that source. Uh, and then that sort of flows through to population growth generally will be below long-term norms. So that's not an easy answer to address this problem. Uh, industry is saying to the government, 
what you've got to do is just ease the rules more and more to make it easier, mm-hmm. um, particularly in a global market where there's intense competition for labour. You know, Australia is not alone in this regard. You know, it's, it's an issue around the world and certainly around the country. Um, but easing rules for skilled migration, uh, especially for backpackers and people coming in on working visas. You know, so as you say, it's not just skilled jobs in mining, it's hospitality and lots of other industries. Um, you know, tourism venues, they're now getting visitors coming from interstate, but they're crying out for staff to help them meet that need. Um, and industry has been saying for a long time in WA, number one issue is labour shortages. And we're not hearing much from the politicians to address that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that should change. Absolutely. And now you mentioned residential builders there. Um, Premier Mark McGowan made some interesting comments throughout the week regarding the um, the collapse of numerous residential building companies recently. Yeah. Well, this was at the tail end of last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, he was asked about um, the fact that we've had these collapses of, of residential building companies. Um, I mean, I guess my view is that you know, it's, they're small, they're relatively, well, they are small builders. We're not seeing that the big residential builders go under. Um, so, so the impact is not huge across the sector, but it's an indication of the pressures that are there and, and the pressures that are being felt widely. And this was a classic example where the state and federal governments in the depths of COVID put in place incentives to stimulate residential building activity. Uh, at the time it was welcomed, uh, but the result is that we've had this huge spike in the volume of residential construction at a time when the supply of labour, experienced labour, is has been going down. Um, lo and behold, costs have been going up. Uh, there have been delays. Um, and it's not just labour costs. I mean, there's a global issue here. You know, the cost of steel, the cost of windows, you know, everything's going up and going up very substantially. Um, you know, all the supply chain issues we're seeing around the world. Um, and when you've got China shutting down some of their biggest cities, mm-hmm. you know, these supply chain issues are not going to go away in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Premier was asked, would he have done anything differently? Um, and his short answer was no. Um, now, once again, I just encourage politicians to be flexible in the way that they apply their policies. Um, there was a move at a federal level to extend the period of time during which these incentives could be utilised to try and take a bit of heat out of the market. Um, I don't believe it's been enough. Um, you know, so I think, once again, be flexible, be adaptable to the market. This is what industry has to do. If your market changes, your business has to adapt with it. Mm-hmm. And I think governments need to get better at doing that themselves. I think you're right, Mark. It really does feel like the sector's sort of facing the perfect storm there. And now, speaking of labour shortage issues, um, they're creating some major headaches for BHP and Rio Tinto if their latest quarterly reports are anything to go by. What do we know, Mark? Yeah, look, this is just confirmation about um, how tough things are. Um, Rio's commentary was quite upfront. They talked about their Pilbara operation, Pilbara operations having a challenging first quarter as expected. Um, Their production volumes up in the Pilbara down 6% on the the March quarter of last year, down 15% on the December quarter of last year. 
And look, a whole range of issues there, um, but fundamentally around uh, lack of people, the impact of COVID, um, staff absenteeism, uh, and it's both, it's partly just normal operational needs, but Rio's also encountering some real issues with the commissioning and the ramp up of some of their growth projects, um, including Goodadari um, and their Robe Valley operations. Now, this is where you need to you know if something goes wrong on the commissioning side, you need to bring in a team of people, you need to get them in quickly, and you want good quality people so they can just sort of dive in and fix the issues. Uh, that's been really hard, and other miners have talked about the same things. Um, similarly, BHP. Now, their iron ore production was, uh, compared to the March quarter, was the same. Um, but Sorry, compared to the December quarter, it was steady. But compared to the March quarter last year, down 10%. Um, now, they're saying, you know, once again, temporary labour shortages due to COVID. Um, in particular, train driver shortages. We heard a lot about that a while ago. Mm. Um, so it's those, you know, very specific but very crucial skill sets that you need in the industry. Um, and then lay it on top of that, some, some planned maintenance work. Uh, so both, both of the big miners up there um, adversely affected and also talked about supply chain issues as well. And not just in uh, Australia. So BHP has big mining operations in Chile uh, with their copper mining. Once again, big increase in COVID cases, um, despite high vaccination rates in that country as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's tough for them. And BHP said production in the current quarter will also be impacted by these COVID-related uh, absenteeism issues. Um, they're saying that you know, WA should approach uh, peak case numbers in the June quarter. Um, hopefully we'll hit peak well before June 30. Uh, but no one can really know for sure. No. Um, I guess for longer term context, uh, both of the big miners have maintained their guidance for full year production. So, you know, Rio's hoping that their new mines, including Goodadari, will be cranking up in the second half of the financial year. Um, and BHP um, has had uh, some success with commissioning um, its new South Flank project. So, certainly they're hoping that, um, yeah, as I say, they'll be able to get their full year production targets. Though BHP did reduce its full year guidance for both its copper business and its nickel business. Um, now nickel is basically a WA business. And there again, same sorts of issues, uh, COVID related labor absenteeism and workforce, workforce shortages. So yeah, they've got quite a few issues to sort out. Absolutely. And moving to property now, there have been a few contentious developments in the headlines again, with the state government stepping in to override the local council on the uh, Tawari Hot Springs proposal. But it appears the city of Netherlands won't be giving up without a fight. Yes, yeah, so look, this is the site uh, down on the Swan River foreshore in um, sort of between Netherlands and Dalkeith. Mm -hmm. um, there's sort of a, a large area there of you know, reserves running along the riverfront. And right down the end of the road um, used to be the old Tawari Reception Centre. I remember going to a, a wedding anniversary there some years ago. <laughs> uh, but the venue shut down, what, four years ago, I think. 
and there's been this proposal which City of Netherlands originally supported um, for a, a day spa development there, uh, but it came to a vote in the council recently and they decided, despite council staff recommending approval, the council voted to oppose the development. So there's a broader issue here where City of Netherlands and the state government have been clashing because uh, Netherlands has not been supporting uh, higher density development. Uh, they've been opposing a lot of apartment proposals and the state government has come over the top and really put it, well, enforced a new planning scheme for the city of Netherlands. And once again here, they're coming over the top and they're going to um, take action to excise the land where this new development is proposed uh, so that it comes under direct state government control. Um, so a fairly extreme measure. Mm. And I think it sort of says a lot about how that relationship between the state government and the local council is uh, in very poor shape. Um, now, John Kerry, lands minister, in defending this, you know, he's talked about it as a tourism development of state significance. Now, you know, whether a day spa and a mm. wellness clinic fits the bill, <laughs> um, he's saying that it'll, it will have more than one hundred thousand visitors annually. Uh, that seems like a rather large number. Mm. And um, City of Netherlands Mayor, uh, whose name escapes me, Fiona Argyle? Yes, that's it. Yes. Uh, she called that pure fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and also disputed some of the numbers around the financial return that would go to the City of Netherlands. Uh, now, her view was that the... the that the reserve along the riverfront is the main attraction. And she says, well, that's good for tourism. Um, I guess my thought on that is there's still lots of um, green grass and open space along the riverfront there. Um, I think the minister said that the area that will be excised will be around 2.5% of the Class A reserve. Um, now, look, I think on this one... Um, Look, in a sense, it seems a, a funny to be having such a big fight over a day spa and wellness centre, um, but it's certainly symbolic of this ongoing struggle we seem to be having mm -hmm. to strike the right balance uh, between development and keeping things as they are. Mm -hmm. um, bottom line for me, I think there's plenty of space down there to redevelop that site, which, you know, as we know for many, many years was a commercial site. Not not particularly uh, busy, which of course is why the business shut down. Um, but you know, there's a road, an existing road running down there. And I'm sure the good folk of Netherlands and Dalkeith can cope with a bit more traffic going down there and utilizing it for you know, a great site for what uh, hopefully will be a very successful commercial development. And there's a similar dispute happening in another corner of the western suburbs, but this is on a far bigger scale. So this is the $220 million redevelopment planned for the Ocean Beach Hotel. Now, the town of Cottesloe strongly opposes this one and is recommending that the SDAU, the State Development Assessment uh, Unit, reject it next Tuesday night. Do we think the same could happen here? Uh, I think there's a very good chance we could have a very similar outcome in this case. Mm. 
So, look, we've, we've discussed this site a number of times. Um, Stan Quinlivan, um, owner of the Ocean Beach Hotel, he's been battling away for years to get some development happening on that site. Uh, he's teamed up with um, Hillam Architects and Edge Visionary Living. You know, they're two groups that have a, I think, a, a, a good track record of developing sort of quality apartment projects around Perth. Um, they always tend to be sort of at that upper end of the market. And look, it's you know, 12 storeys, um, which of course is more than the city of uh, town of Cottesloe wants. Mm -hmm. But gee whiz, it's a. I'm always hesitant about using the word iconic. But, <laughs> you know, that OBH site, it really is an um, absolutely prime location overlooking the ocean there. And that whole Cottesloe Strip, you know, it's crying out for development for, and I would, well, I would say improvement. You know, it's, uh, it looks a bit sad and a bit tired. And uh, in this case, uh, Stan Quinlivan and his development partners, they put a lot of work into uh, what they're proposing. Now, the council staff who assessed it say they strongly object to the proposal. Uh, it does not adequately take account of the, this is a quote, the scale and built form of surrounding residential development, which is mostly two to three storeys. Well, I guess if you take that logic, then you could never build anything much bigger. Uh, also say it will not retain adequate views um, of the foreshore and ocean from nearby areas including the Cottesloe Civic Centre mm, Gardens. Yes. Uh, popular spot for Western suburbs, weddings and parties. Mm -hmm. um, but look, I'm sure they will still get plenty of views of the ocean. Maybe there's one snippet of the view that will be lost. Um, and look, and there will be other developments along that foreshore. Uh, but I don't think anybody's suggesting that they're going to um, entirely lose their lovely vistas of the ocean. So look, once again, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a quiet suburban street. It's already a busy area. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. Absolutely. And Jacinta, I'll throw to you for the other example that we're going to discuss. Uh, Dredgen, that was the developer of the Subi XO project, mm -hmm. uh, which was a combination, it was what, um, hotel, offices, Cinema. Apartment cinema yeah. in um, Hay Street, Subiaco. Mm -hmm. um, is there any, has anybody moved in there? They, they still seem to be having issues, and now they've taken some legal action. They certainly have. So the Singaporean-based developer lodged a legal claim in the Supreme Court this week over the alleged structural issues um, with its $110 million development. Now, I'm sure our readers would remember that this all sort of came to light in about mid-2020 um, when Minrez uh, famously backflipped on its plan to move its headquarters, which were, I think, originally in Applecross, um, over to the building, over the, these alleged structural integrity issues and claims that the building was not quite up to scratch. Now, according to that writ, Dragen claims that Netcam, which originally traded as Campion Design Group, uh, conducted itself in a way that amounted to negligence uh, and breached its contract. Now, um, Dragen has been quick to clarify that although the writ was filed, um, it was done so in a bid to sort of 
preserve the company's rights. So although it's not yet been served, if there are any issues, they can take that action without the issue of um, the sort of statute of limitations, I guess, on that. Um, so the proceedings aren't technically active as yet, and Drudgeon hasn't made a decision as to whether it wants to go ahead, but they do have that option there. Um, anyway, the claim sort of centres around the consultancy agreement that the two parties signed, I think, in, in 2012. Um, so it was for the design and, and construction of the retail complex and, of course, the hotel, cinema, basement car park, commercial office building at 500 Hay Street. Now, under that deal, Campion was allegedly tasked with preparing and reviewing all the architectural drawings, um, liaising with all the consultants, and also providing advice on any possible design variations. Now, in 2016, Drajan alleges that certain aspects of the office building in particular were changed and that they were left in the dark about those changes, although they're um, various consultants were privy to them. So with Drangen in an ongoing legal battle with the prospective tenant, which they address in their writ but don't explicitly say is Minres, uh, over the early termination of that lease, um, Drudgeon wants to be covered for any potential financial fallout, uh, any damages and, and compensation it may have to pay, um, but also wants to be um, compensated for the alleged breaches of contract, um, the negligence and breaching the state's uh, building regulations. So although this um, lawsuit isn't necessarily active, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Mm. And in the meantime, I believe they have attracted a tenant to go into the office component? They have done. So we reported this only last month, and I believe it was Newmont who has the uh, fifth story uh, office tenancy agreement, um, and they should be moving in there very shortly. But obviously more space to try and fill. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Well, that was a good update. And look, it certainly attracted a lot of interest from our readers. Definitely. Um, one of those long-running sagas. Interesting when you say they signed the agreement with the architects about 10 years ago. Mm. It says something about how long these things can drag on for. Oh, and I don't think that that was an isolated issue. I understand in 2018 the work stopped um, over some sort of a disagreement with Cooper and Oxley. And, of course, well, and Cooper and Oxley went out of business. Um, well, they've had a huge restructuring since, but, yeah, they were, yes. they were in all sorts of strife themselves. Mm -hmm. And moving on, uh, Chrysos Corporation has lodged a prospectus that is shaping up to be the biggest IPO of, of the year. What do we know, Mark? Well, look, this is an interesting story for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's a large transaction. Um, but, two, it's also, I think, a great case study on development of mining technology in Australia. Uh, now, yeah, people talk all the time that, you know, we just dig up the stuff and ship it overseas and we never add value and, you know, where are the smarts? Uh, well, this is an example of where we have developed something really clever. Uh, and in fact, it's a, it's a um, technology that's used for gold testing. Uh, traditionally, uh, there's the fire assay process. This has been used for, well, centuries. Um, its history goes back a very long way before modern mining, um, but still that the process of testing the quality of gold and getting the assays really hasn't changed. Um, it's a process that the traditional process, large amounts of hazardous waste, a lot of labour, lots of energy, 
high carbon dioxide emissions and it's a relatively slow process. So about 20 years ago, CSIRO started doing some work on developing a totally new process that uses x-rays to analyze and test the gold. They've been plugging away at this for a long time and then about five years ago created this spin-out company, Chrysos Corporation, which has subsequently raised some private capital. Uh, it released its first uh, product to the market in 2018, its first commercial prototype. Um, and it's now got to a point where it's got um, eight of these photon assay machines um, deployed in the market. They've got contracts uh, in place for another 25 units. And they're saying that there's this huge opportunity out there. They're saying globally, they could see about 600 of these machines in place. Wow. Um, so, you know, what a great story that, you know, the boffins at CSIRO conceived this um, and now they're out there. They're looking to raise about $180 million through their initial public offering. Um, a big part of that is a sell down by some of the existing shareholders, um, the largest of which um, is Perth company uh, Parenti Global, uh, because it used to have um, an assay lab business, which they've subsequently sold, but um, their subsidiary was in fact the first company to commercialise the Chrysos technology. So there's quite a strong Perth connection here. Um, and of course, they've got an office in Perth, um, which is you know, obviously WA is a big part of their market, um, both for the big gold mining companies, uh, but also for the big um, uh, gold testing companies. So for instance, uh, last year it would have been, I went out to Maddington where Intertech opened up a very impressive new laboratory. They've got about 500 people out there and that included a Chrysos um, photon assay machine. So I got to see it in action. Oh, wow. And I also got to see, well, it's a big room. You don't actually go in there, but you can see the, you can see the big room with all the clever machines inside. But you also saw just around the corner, the old fire assay um, equipment being used. Um, you know, and it really is old fashioned industrial sort of processing. So look, I think it's a, um, a great story. Um, I think the, 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 the IPO is underwritten um, and I think there's sort of no guarantee they'll get the money. So look, it'll be a new entry to the ASX. The company will be valued at about $640 million on completion of the IPO. And if all goes to plan, um, look, there's a, um, a really bright future. And not alone, you know, we talk from time to time about some other great mining technology and um, you know, resources technology that's developed in Australia. Um, there is a lot of it there. doesn't get the attention it deserves, mm -hmm. um, but something we'll keep on talking about. Absolutely. And we have a very exciting success and leadership breakfast coming up with John Poynton on May 18. Yep. Look, John Poynton is going to be um, in the hot seat. Um, he'll be up on stage taking questions. Uh, from me and from members of the audience. Um, now, John, of course, has been in the news quite a lot in the last little while, particularly over his role as a director of Crown Resorts mm -hmm. um, and at Crown's Perth operations. Um, so, look, if you'd like to hear from John to explain his take on that, um, and, you know, he's been around in business in WA for many years, 
uh, been a director of many companies, you know, Multiplex, Austal, um, to name a couple, um, as well as Crown, um, and still very active as a corporate advisor. Um, he's got a really interesting story, and he'll be up there taking questions. So Wednesday, the 18th of May, at Crown Perth. Fantastic. Very good. And tickets are now on sale. And for further information, people can visit our website, businessnews.com.au forward slash events. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure, Jacinta. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.